This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 44. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Hear my echo? That was kind of cool. Nice. Introduce me already. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. That was, that was Brandon who rudely interrupted me. <laughs> What's up, Brandon? Not much. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Things are uh, things are going well. It's it's uh, it's getting close to ski season here in Denver, so uh, you know we're we're starting to get excited. Everyone in town is starting to freak out and shake with anticipation. Nice, nice. And it is also the coming up on the holiday season, which we all love. Oh yeah, we love the holiday. There's no pressure, no no anxiety, Nothing, no peaceful. No. Yeah, yeah. Peace and love. Holidays are awesome. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so let's let's not talk about any of that stuff and get right to the show because that just gives me anxiety. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> All right. So so today uh we are gonna introduce everybody to a guy named Mike Woodward. Mike is active on bigger pockets. Uh he's a house flipper in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, who's flipping multiple houses every year while holding a full time job as an engineer. Uh and I, I know that uh Working a full-time job and doing anything is difficult, let alone flipping houses. So uh, the show is going to be kind of cool, and and uh, we'll get the opportunity to learn some cool stuff. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners currently have full-time jobs and do struggle with running their businesses. Uh, so I think you guys should definitely pay close attention to this one. As always, you guys can connect with our guest by visiting the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show43. And you'll also find links to all the stuff we talked about during the show. Otherwise, if, uh, if you haven't already, please jump on iTunes and uh, leave us a review and a uh, rating, uh, uh, hopefully a five-star one. But uh, leave us some feedback there. Yeah, the, the, uh, the show continues to grow, and, and uh, we, we love getting your feedback over there. It, it helps inspire folks who haven't yet listened to the Bigger Pockets podcast and, and helps us rank a little bit better. So... Definitely, please do uh, take a minute or two if you haven't and leave us a rating and a review. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. So with that, let's get to this interview. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. It's good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's good to have you. Uh, before we, looking forward to it. Yeah, before we get started, I just want to say, you know, I, I, the reason I asked you to be on the show is because I've always really, really appreciated your responses in the forums lately. So I just want to publicly say thank you for, uh, you know, chiming into the forums and helping kind of newer investors out. That was very sweet, Brandon. Thank you. <laughs> you know, well, I don't say that to well, everybody. You know, I'm I'm really glad to do it too. Uh, you know, bigger pockets has been very important to me in my career already. Um, so, you know, I like to give back. I like to you know help people that have real questions about things. I'm a fix and flip guy, so you know when people ask about, you know, I've got a sink that you know I don't know if, if I should change it or not. What kind of flooring? You know, there's just a lot of things that I deal with every day, and it's it's a shame to hold it in. You know, and yeah, I think that's the the nice thing about bigger bigger pockets is it gives us a chance to, you know, to share what we know and, and, and I gain a lot too. So it's, you know, it's good. I, I appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. That's awesome. Awesome. All right. So, so you're a fix and flip guy. Where are you based out of? Um, East Tennessee, close to Knoxville. Okay. Right on. I don't, I don't know that area that well. I've been down to Memphis once before. Kind of cool. Enjoyed it. I've been uh, to but, Knoxville a few times. It's a good place. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. cool. It's good. Well, how did, how did you get started, Michael? Well, really, you know, it was kind of an accidental flip in a way that I got a job in North Carolina. Uh, I've got a mechanical engineering degree. And right out of college, uh, my wife and I moved over there, bought a little farmhouse, um, house in five acres, you know, paid about, I don't about 85000 I think, for the house. And, my God, 85000 <laughs> five acres. I know, I know. That was in 90, 97, 98. Okay. So, and, and even then, that was a good deal, and I knew it when we bought it. Um, so, 18 months later, the company I was working for actually shut the plant down, and we needed to move back to Tennessee. So, we did. We sold it for 125. You know, we we then had been working on it while we lived there, and uh, you know, went back to Tennessee with, you know, paid off all my student loans and uh, made a good chunk of change and you know it, it really got my attention so that was the thing that was the moment at least that I saw real estate as uh, something to do that's cool I, I started with an accidental flip in the same way I bought a house to live in and ended up selling it I think nine months after I bought it so 
yeah, I think it's an awesome way to get started with flipping is just to flip your own house. And, uh, yeah, very, very, very good way to start. So uh, are you full time now or are you, uh, do you have a day job as well? Are you still working the engineering? Well, I am right now full time, or I'm sorry, uh, full time engineering. Okay. And part time real estate. So, uh, there was a time when we moved back to Tennessee that I got back into real estate while I was still engineering, uh, quit my job but really didn't have the real estate infrastructure in place. And, and that was a big mistake. I didn't know about bigger, bigger pockets. I really hadn't put a lot of effort into making sure that my business model was really a business model. I mean, it was just kind of, I was figuring it out as I went and it worked. So I kept going, but I really took a big step, a risky step to quit my job and go full-time into the real estate without having all the pieces in place to make sure that the business would survive. So uh, anyway, so I, I got pretty quickly over my head in that, uh, you know, uh, bought and sold some houses, had some success. And then when uh, the real estate market uh, collapsed, it took me down with it. So I ended up having to fall back on my engineering after that. So, so I'm back to engineering and then flipping part-time, but actually doing more flipping now part-time in big part because of bigger pockets and really learning about what I need to do with my business to make the business solid. So now I've got enough time to do both. So right now it's, it's a, it's a good thing. Although I want to, you know, I still want to get out of the engineering job and full time into real estate, but I'm just going to make sure that it's, uh, it's solid before I take, you know, take the leap. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, so you, you lick your paws a little bit, right? Uh, had a, uh, had a, had a, challenge like like a lot of folks did in the in the late uh 2000 knots i, su- I suppose but <laughs> what is that 2008 2007 um uh yeah. what what uh I, I you know we've done a lot of interviews with people who who've gotten their backsides handed to them in that period and and you know we've talked to some who didn't but i think it's really important that that people um hear how others call it screwed up or not, wh- wh- whatever you want to say. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say that you screwed up because you know it was real easy for anybody to to get hurt by by the downfall. But you know, what did you learn? What did you do that you might have done differently now that you look back? Um, aside from not quitting your job potentially, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of failures, really. Um, I think they're important. I think it's important for everybody to fail. You know, it's it's kind of a basic business premise that if you're if you're going to go big, you're going to have to fail somewhere. At least most people do. And, Ooh, that's a tweetable uh, so, topic right there. Yes, that is a tweetable <laughs> topic. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and that's that's really real for me because I learned so much with the failure that when it happened, um, like I said, I, I didn't spend any time on the business infrastructure, really the business plan. I didn't have time for a business plan because I was too busy trying to figure out the business, which really was the backward way to do it. I shouldn't have been doing it that way. I should have done the business modeling first and then went back. So in, in real terms with the real estate, um, boy, where to start with that? I mean, there's so much to having a successful real estate business that you have to know so much I really feel kind of bad in a way for new guys because I know how much they have to learn, especially somebody that's new and they say, I want to buy a house in the next three months 
and I want to I want to jump in and get going. And I look back to the last ten to twelve years and think about everything I've learned over that amount of time and realize you, you've got a pretty steep hill in front of you. Yeah. So you know, don't don't short your education. You really have to spend a lot of time on your education. So uh, for me specifically, um, you know, getting the numbers right. Everything that you guys talk about every day, you know, the fundamentals, making sure that the property is in the right place, that it's the right price, that you understand uh, sales, that you understand uh, what's a good deal and what isn't. That's really, I guess, the place to start. If you understand what things should be selling for, then uh, you know you, you can run the numbers. So I, I just didn't do the numbers uh, to the level that I should have. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and, and I think... I think a lot of people did that. Yeah, did the exact same thing. You know, many got caught up in it. You know, a lot of people um, just uh, you know didn't thought thought that the trend would continue forever, and and uh, you know instead of sticking to their numbers, they said, uh, you know, uh, there's a little more room. I got padding. The market's hot, right? Yep. And and uh, I mean, look, I, I've got houses all around my neighborhood right now where these guys have done some flips and work, and you know. They were super excited about the, uh, you know, the market. The market was super, super hot, and and now these things have been sitting on the market for for weeks and and not selling. And you know, I know for certain, at least on one of them, that their numbers are not their numbers aren't that good. They do not have a lot of padding, and and they put a lot of money into these things. And I I knew when they bought that if they were going to flip it, they'd have to be super careful. And I'm watching it, and I'm just saying, oh boy. This guy's starting to get real close to bleeding, and and uh, it's easy to happen. So I, I I press upon anybody who's looking to flip that that they just be really smart about the numbers, just like you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you really have to. There there's just no shortcut to it. Yeah, I I think uh, one for me the problem I used to make is you know if you're estimating what the property is going to be worth and you say well I think it'll be worth somewhere between one twenty and one forty. In the height of the market, almost everybody, myself included, used the 140 number. And the, the thing I think that the the crash taught everyone is to use the 120 number and then maybe deduct a little bit more. You know, is it, it trained me to be more conservative? I don't know if you found the same thing, but well, you know, it's it's such a temptation, really, to want to get into a deal, especially when you're new. I want to do it. I want to get one, and you can talk yourself into any deal. Yep. You you could say, well, you know, I don't have to replace the shower. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> the big sinkhole in the backyard is not a big deal. I'll make a pool there, you know, just crazy stuff. That you, can, you can talk yourself into making anything look good on the numbers. But if you're really going to be honest with yourself and you're really going to do the hard thing by saying, you know what, this doesn't look good. These these numbers are too tight. I'm going to back away from it. Walking away from that, it's like walking away from an auction. You know, people get excited and, yep. and they want to stay plugged in and they can't walk away. So if you can resist that, you know, and uh, stick to your numbers, then you'll be much better off in the long run. Yeah, and that's key right there. Stick to your numbers. That's that's oh, huge. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. well, let's let's talk a little more specific about the kind of properties that you're currently flipping. Uh, like, where do you where are you finding them? I guess before I actually ask that, what what are you looking for price range wise, and then where are you finding them? Well, in my area, um, I I analyze solds all the time, and I'm always looking for the sweet spot, and I'm a huge systems guy. I always look for what the numbers tell me. I'm always, you know, I've always been analytical, so that's where I start. And in my area, um, the the price range with the most activity is between a hundred and two hundred thousand. 
And if you really dig into the numbers, you can see where the hot spots are with that. Uh, in my comfort level with the funding that I have available, I'm tending to pick them up at around 60 to 75. Um, I've gone a little bit more than that on a few, but, and of course my selling target is somewhere between 140 and 175, something like that. So that in my area, that's the sweet spot. So, so you said between one and two is, is your, your kind of range. And then you said you're, you're able to find kind of some sweet spots. What, what other criteria do you use other than uh, the, the pure pricing? Well, you know, of course, location is always important. Um, but honestly, I, I really just go by the pricing. Uh, and there are some exceptions to that. If I see that something is priced really cheap, looked at one this morning, uh, $30,000, you know, it's like 1,500 square feet. Uh, you Google the street and you look around and, and there's, you know, it's a dump all the way around. The realtor said hey, it, was a, it was a meth house. It had been recently remodeled. 30,000 bucks for 1,500 square feet on the surface by the numbers looks good. But that's where, you know, the education and just really the, the street smarts start to kick in and you can re- recognize the difference between a good deal and a bad deal by the numbers. But that, did, I, did I answer your question there? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, you're, are you, you know, are you looking at three twos? Are you looking at any, any kind of, uh, any, um, you know, specific floor plans? Are you avoiding anything? I mean, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, I, I know flippers who, who will only work on historic homes, you know, so, so just trying to figure out kind of your, your specific, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> last year I made a, a mistake to buy a house that was too cheap, really. And that, that sounds impossible, but the house was $11,000. And wow. I thought, you know, there's no way I can not make some money on this. Yeah. Uh, but it was only 500 square feet. So that turned into a very, very difficult thing to turn in the end because people don't typically like houses that small. They just can't live in it. That's a, a college room. student. It is. <laughs> yeah. Had a nice size kitchen. Uh, but yeah, it was just too small. I ended up selling, selling it to a college student and made money on it. Didn't lose money on it. But that was a tough sell. And I learned my lesson from that. So I really, I try to stick to three bedroom, uh, at least one bath. Three bedroom, two bath is better. But, uh, you know, it, it's tough for me to even go as low as two bedroom, one bath. It has to be a real deal in an area that I know uh, will sell. And there's a market for that too. But yeah, 3-2. And I really look for square footage. If there's enough square footage, then I can tackle the floor plan. I have a background in construction and, and so forth. So the rehab doesn't scare me at all. I can, if I've got enough square footage, then I can usually make it something that uh, that's desirable, 3-2 or, or bigger. Nice. And nice. Are, you, are you doing your own work then? Or are you hiring it out? <laughs> well, that's the other part of my education is that I started out early doing everything myself. Out of high school, I needed to pay for my first car. So I went to work for the, the local contractor building a house. And um, so, you know, I learned how to do it. And I was capable of doing it. So when I started flipping, I did do it. I just, you know, for really, it all boiled down to, I don't have a guy that, that can do sheetrock. So I need to learn how to do sheetrock. And I could do it. So I did do it without thinking about whether or not I ought to. Yep. And then I learned really a difficult lesson. That was part of that was part of the demise of my business early on was doing that. I, I fault a lot of that with 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 doing that. I 
I don't have a passion to go out every day and hang drywall or oh come on roofing. <laughs> really, <laughs> really. <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, it's you know I remember hating the business toward the end of that. I was almost glad that it ended because I just I, I'd go out. You know, I had plenty of freedom. I thought I had freedom, but I didn't. I'd go out to work on the house, and I'd realize I don't like this. You know, this this is not what I should be doing. So it, it the the downturn in it gave me time to to um, redo all that. So anyway, now I hire everything out. I have an, a super, super contractor that does everything for me. I don't have to buy materials. Uh, I never go into Lowe's for Home Depot. He takes care of the whole thing. He gives me a quote at the beginning, and as he finishes things, I pay him. You know, When he calls me and says, I need a check, I get to him and give him a check because he's really taking care of me. That's and where'd cool. you find this guy? Well, that's another secret to... Uh, what I've learned, and not a secret at all, it's a secret uh, part of my success, I Come guess. Come on, you're to- charging nine ninety seven <laughs> for that secret, right, Michael? <laughs> I will teach you how to find a contractor. It's yours today, free. <laughs> um, no, I learned, uh, well, actually, when I was building new houses, I learned if I wanted a good, uh, let's see, where to start. If I needed a good uh, sheetrock, drywall hanger, then I need to talk to the guy, that the, the painters, so I'd call painting companies and say, hey, who do you like to follow? And they'd give me a list. You know, stay away from this guy. Use these people. This, these are the ones we like. And it, you can really follow that from the end of the project all the way back. Everybody follows somebody pretty much except for the guy that, that breaks ground. So go to those people and ask them, who do you like to follow? And yeah, that's, and that's an what I did. amazing tip. That's awesome, awesome. Probably my... Might be my first or second favorite tip uh, as it goes to flipping. Yeah, but, uh, I know that. that, that I, sh- I should have charged more for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, so so on the GC, who's 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 making the recommendations on the on the GC then? As far as what he does, well, uh, where, what? where do you find the top the top dog? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's the other nice thing about the contractor that I have is that he takes care of everything. So once I found him. I don't have to find anybody else. Uh, there's a few things that he doesn't do. He doesn't do the roofing, but he makes arrangements for the roofing. And I don't worry about it. He gives me a good price on that. Uh, the flooring is something that I know the people that do good work in the area for flooring. So I just put him in touch with them and off they go. So, you know, finding him initially was really the hard part. I looked for months and, you know, you, you have to try somebody out. You're not going to know what they're going to do and how they're going to do it until you actually hire them. And you get into it. At least that's been my experience. Um, they all say the right things. Most of them do. Um, very, very few of them will actually follow through with exactly what the agreement was. And this guy does that. So um, once I found him, is actually a, a heating and air conditioning guy that put me onto him. And it's you know he's been my exclusive contractor ever since. So it just makes it real easy for me. That's cool, and that and that's yeah. I think a huge key there is is once you find the guys, take care of them. Don't try to undercut them and and get an even better deal every time because in the long run, the relationship's more important than a few dollars here and there. So I think that's great. Absolutely. Uh, well, cool. So I'm wondering, what is an ideal flip look like for you? Like beginning to end, how much would you ideally want to pay? I mean, I know zero is ideal, but like a typical <laughs> good flip, what's it look like? Buy it for how much, put how much into it, sell it for how much and how much profit? Well, really the two that I've got right now are good representations of that. Uh, I paid, I think, 61 for one and 51 for the other. 
I'm going to put somewhere between 45 and 55 in, in each of those. Uh, and the houses will be like new when I'm done. Uh, that's something that I've found is important. And actually, I furnish, I fully furnish the houses too. And I know there's, there's a lot of different opinions about whether that's important. But for me, the one 500 square foot house that I had was on the market for six months or more, which was killing me. I mean, it was just terrible for my numbers. As soon as I furnished it, uh, two weeks later, I had it under contract. So I found that that's, it's key for me to fully furnish the houses and everything else in the house is like new. Everything, the, the flooring, the paint, kitchen cabinets especially. Um, women really buy houses. So yeah. I, I make sure that if nothing else in the house looks good, if the floor plan is mess, so messed up that you can't do, you can't make it flow perfectly, at least we'll make sure that the kitchen looks good. So top to bottom, new roof, um, everything needs to look and smell good for me to be happy with it. When you say furnish, you mean stage, right? Same thing? No, no, actually, I'm, I'm furnishing them. It, it goes with the house. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. That's they couches and curtains and everything? Everything but the bedding. Wow. Uh, wow. Pictures on the walls. Yep. Yeah, uh, staging, a bowl of candy in the living room, a uh, refrigerator that's running, you know, er- everything. One of my taglines on my listing is all you need are groceries. That's you cool. You can move right in. So, and it's, you know, it's an added expense. I'm, I'm spending probably seven or 8000 per house that most people say you don't have to. But if that gets me a contract in one to two weeks instead of one to two months, it's worth it to me. So that's, that's what I found is, is part of the keys. And have you experimented with that? Because, you know, I would think there's probably somewhat of a fuzzy line between staging and furnishing, right? I, I, you're, I've never heard of somebody else doing this. So I'm, I'm kind of fascinated and I'm, I, I'm, my first inclination is to say, what the hell are you doing? Stop. <laughs> you know, you're wasting money. And, and, you know, I mean, have you gone the staging route, tried it that way and found that that wasn't as effective as offering, uh, the furnished house? Well, I, I kind of did test it in a way that I was not doing it before. And I knew what my typical sale time was to get a contract. If my house is just one of another 15 or 20 of the, with the same description, it's tough to keep that in front of people. You know, you try to stay on the hot sheets with the realtors. You try to have relationships and, and somehow get it out there. And that works to an extent. But when I finally decided to do this, um, I just kind of went full in. I just said, I'm going to try this and see what happened. And, and I've found that it's been very, very effective. In fact, every person that have bought houses from me since I've started doing this have said, we want the furniture. We love the look of it. We want the pictures that are on the walls. Uh, if you want it back, you know, you're, you're going to have to negotiate something on the price. Everybody wanted all the furniture. I haven't had a single person um, complain about that. And the other side of that is you never really know. I mean, this fits my model. So this is what I'm doing. Uh, I ha- sold a house earlier this year and the guy that bought it, um, when uh, I, I ended up putting drywall on the ceiling in the basement, it was a unfinished basement, but I, I put sheetrock on the ceiling just because it looked better to do that. Um, some people had said that they may want that. So I did, did that. Anyway, we're at the closing table and the guy looks across. And he says, you know, I really wish you wouldn't have put the drywall on the ceiling in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I spent about $2,000 doing that because I felt like it was the right thing to do in general. So that's kind of where I am with the furnishing that I feel pretty strongly because it sold. Actually, I had another tough 
house to sale, sell. In that case, it was a neighbor that was the problem. Um, I made a mistake and don't ever ignore your neighbor. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that furnishing the house got it sold. Nice. Well, that's fascinating. Fascinating. Let, let, let's jump into that neighbor speak for a second there because, you know, I think, I think that's another issue that is, is oftentimes ignored by, by newer investors. I know I, I made that mistake big time in the, uh, er, early on and, and bought properties where neighboring properties really screwed me, uh, for lack of a better word. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was just pretty, pretty disastrous. So, so how does somebody know uh, that the you know you find a great property, but you know the property next door is is gonna burn the sale? How do you how do you avoid that? Um, don't stop. <laughs> Just keep going. Literally, I say that as if I'm joking, but I don't. If I pull up to a house and all the numbers look great and it's a killer deal, and I see the neighbors have got trash or dogs or anything that smells bad, you know, anything that would turn somebody off, I just walk away from it. Yeah. I, I won't even consider it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I tell you what I did. The house I live in now, um, we, we actually purchased it in the wintertime here in Denver. And it was during uh, a year of uh, some wicked snows. So we showed up, we were the only ones house hunting in the winter. We were walking through a foot of snow, looking at the houses and, I didn't, you know, didn't even think about landscaping, didn't think about, you know, what the neighbor's properties, how they were maintained until, uh, until the first, uh, spring came. And I noticed the guy across the street wasn't, you know, taking care of his lawn. His lawn wasn't really a lawn. It was a pile of dirt and, uh, you know, super nice guy, but he just wasn't, wasn't about it. And so it took, it took years until he sold his place for the house to, to start looking good. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, so that would be my tip on, on, uh, amongst your, your tips, which are don't shop, you know, if you're going to shop in the winter when there's snow on the ground, you, you might want to keep in mind that, that, uh, there's more than meets the eye underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just one of those things that you can't overcome. And I've, I've had many realtors tell me if you can't get somebody to stop, you can't sell them the house. If they won't stop and get out of the car and go in, you can't sell the house. So that really struck me. When that finally sunk in, I realized I, I can't have anything on the outside that, that looks bad. People are, are going to just keep going until I have to price to a point where it's a killer deal. And, you know, I, I don't want to get in that position. There's always, there's always too much time that passes if you, if you try something like that. So it's just better. Yeah. So, so what do you usually do for landscaping? How much do you spend on that? And do you have any tips for curb appeal? Well, you know, when we built... When I built new houses down in Florida, there's kind of a standard that you really needed to meet. Um, and that's a little bit different because you're starting from raw ground. Uh, but I always wanted it to look really nice. You know, we put palm trees out front and uh, a nice entry, plants, flowers, and so forth. Uh, here in Tennessee, uh, we get quite a bit of rain, so it's typically pretty green. So if, if, the, you know, if the lawn is in good shape and there's a few plants outside, some landscaping, you know, mulch and that sort of thing, uh, it needs to be soft and pleasing. It, it just can't be something that uh, that's ugly. You know, it's. I, I don't really have a good specific response to that. I don't have well, the new houses. I had a package. I told them, you know, we need package one out on this address, and they'd go do it, and they knew exactly what to do. Here, I just kind of take it house at a time. But it needs to have good curb appeal. I mean, it's it's again the same thing as the, as the neighbors. When the people pull up, they need to say. 
you know, this looks nice. Uh, let's let's go and take a look. Okay, cool. So how do you how do you decide then? You know, expanding off that topic, how do you decide how much to go? How far do you take it? You know, I call it like the if you give a mouse a cookie problem. You know, it, it's always going to need more. So you update the front door, then you're needing need a new lock on it. And if you update the new lock, you're going to need a new you know uh, light to match it. Like how how do you know how far to go and when to stop? Well, um, you know, really the the condition of of the house will determine that if the front door is good. The front door is good on one of them that I have now, and it's not good on the next on the other one. So, you know, we have, like I said, every house needs to look and feel like new. So if it doesn't look and feel like new, I budget to replace that. And the pricing, the numbers have to match that. If the house is priced uh, toward the top of the typical budget, but it needs a lot of work, I'm probably going to have to walk away from it. But if it's priced low and it needs a lot of work, that doesn't bother me because I can budget it in. It's just... I have an analysis, uh, a spreadsheet, and actually it's linked to my smartphone. So when I go into a house, I fill this out, and it tells me exactly the price of everything in there. When I walk through the house, I'll say it needs doors and trim. It needs new lighting. Uh, you know, flooring is almost always a given. The roof, maybe, maybe not. So when I get done with this house, I've got this complete list. I actually fill it in on my smartphone, and it gives me a number at the bottom. I've already talked to the realtor, so I know what the after-repaired value is. I know what my repair costs are going to be, and then I can call him right back and say, okay, we can make an offer or we can't make an offer. And actually, we can always make an offer. It's just a matter of what's it going to be. Um, it's listed at 43, but that's too tight. I got to buy it for 30, so let's offer 25. Um, or it's listed at 33 or 43, and man, I could, I could buy it for 50. So we offer 44. You know, we may go in above asking price just to try to get it if it's a good deal. Okay. And, uh, you know, earlier to, to go back to what we talked about a while ago, you mentioned, I asked you what the kind of ideal flip was. And you talked about these properties you're getting, you know, you're buying them for 50 or 60, you're putting in 45, 55 into them. So what do you plan on actually selling them for? And, and then what's your profit look like on those properties? Yeah, my target is always... Um, Twenty-five thousand, um, in in the end, it, when it's when it's all said and done, that needs to be my target. Uh, Twenty, I might consider if I feel real, real good about it. Um, Thirty and above, of course, it's a no-brainer. You just go with it. But um, you know, in, in these price ranges, if I'm buying for sixty to sixty-five, again, it depends. You know, some I'll put twenty thousand in, and some I'll put sixty thousand in. So I have to know in the end that uh, this is going to be you know, the numbers are going to work. So yeah. I'm typically selling around 150. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Hey, so you, you had mentioned the, the smartphone thing and, and I want to ask a little bit more about that because I think it's, it's a, uh, it's a pretty cool way of doing it. Um, if you, if you're going in there, you know, a lot of folks say they eyeball it, but I think it, it's nice to, to be able to have a system like that. And you said you're a system guy. So did you, is, is this just like a Google doc, uh, that, that, you know, it's a spreadsheet where you've got your all your estimations on there, or is it some kind of little piece of software you wrote, or is it something that you pay for? Yeah, and this this is something that's taken a long time to really develop. Um, I had a, a smartphone that worked fairly well, but I, I realized pretty quickly if I was going to do it this way, I, I needed something better. So I've, I've got uh, uh, I've got a Note two right now from Samsung, which I found works really well, um, and it can handle spreadsheets. So there's, there's apps on 
you know, the Play Store market that you can get that will, um, that you can pull up a spreadsheet and fill it out. So that's what I end up doing. I've got everything actually on Dropbox. That's where I keep my files. So when I get to a house, I've got the link, of course, through the network. So I just get to my Dropbox account, uh, pull up the file, and I start filling it out. And actually, I can actually save it. And when I get back to my desktop at home, the saved file is there. So it, it works. Dropbox has really been my key for that. Nice, cool. nice. Now that's that's a great tool. But re- really, really quick before uh, we go on, this is show forty-four of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and you can find links to all these things we're talking about at biggerpockets.com/slash/show forty-four. Anyway, um, so how are you funding your flips? What what are you doing? You know, has this changed over time? How did you fund them initially, and what are you doing today? Yeah, that's uh, actually it's been the same from the very beginning, except for the accidental flip. You know, that was one that I got a regular mortgage through the bank and bought it to live in. Uh, but when I started uh, flipping uh, as as the business, I found a private source to do that with, and that individual has stuck with me uh, for uh, going on ten years now. I guess. Wow. So it's, yep. It's it's been a single person. You know, eventually, I've actually been doing a lot of research also on other funding sources. Um, so, you know, banking, I think, looks like the most affordable if you're in a position to do that. If you've got enough to put down, um, it looks like the lowest cost way of doing that. So, eventually, I'll do that. But uh, right now, it's just all private. And how did you find this person uh, the, the, when, when you first did? Yeah, actually, it's a family member. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. I actually do want to circle back because my brain just started spinning. You are currently full-time, right? Full-time at work. You're working a full-time job, right? Working a full-time job and, right, doing roughly a flip every two months. Okay, a flip every two months. I was going to ask you about your frequency. Uh, so, so that answers it, obviously. Um, how, how, are you, how are you going about the process? Be, because obviously, you know, an engineering job is, is a job that, at least my understanding requires a lot of focus. You don't have a ton of time to go hang out on Facebook and, and play around and jump off site and disappear uh, like like some jobs, Brandon. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but uh, so so how are you managing your flips while while working a full time job? Uh, the, the only way, in my opinion, that it's possible is again with systems, and and that's what I'm doing. And the the uh, the recent article from I wrote his name down, but I can't think of it right now that had the article about um, uh, it's like the eight things that are great about having a full-time job while you're uh, doing real estate. Anyway, yeah. I really relate to that. And he mentioned systems in there. Uh, it, I, I have a system and it's something that you're right. I have basically no spare time at all. So whatever I do has to be the most beneficial thing possible. And after a few weeks of doing the wrong things, you realize I'm not making progress on the right things or I'm not getting anywhere. So I have a very a very specific system that I've been putting in place. I've actually recently gotten Microsoft projects up and running. Um, and I'm still working on the, the, the details of that to get that going. But that will be the heart of my system. And on that, there's links, uh, there's timing for everything. So the list serves as a template. Every time that I buy a house, it, it's, it's a brand new template that I use on, on each project so that I don't have to think about what needs to come next. And that was always a, project, uh, a problem with multiple projects. If you get 
two or three houses going at once, and sometimes they overlap that way, it's incredibly hard, and you spend an enormous amount of time thinking about what have I not thought about? Who do I need to call? Who, what do I need to be getting going next? So the system that I have with this list tells me the next thing to do. It, it's, it's top to bottom, every single step of everything that I need to do from the beginning of the project to the very end, you know, hiring lawn care, getting the electricity turned on, every single thing is on this list. And when it's done, I check it off. Nice. So yeah, it just, it follows the project and it takes the thinking out of it. I found that I was spending probably half of my time just thinking mm-hmm. about what do I need to be doing next, which was an incredible waste of time. If you've got it right in front of you, it says do this next, then you know, your, your productivity goes through the roof at that point. So that's the only thing uh, that's the only way that this is possible for me to do that. If I didn't have that system, I just couldn't. Or I'd do one or two projects a year, something like that. And by the end of this year, I want to be up to one a month. So uh, systems are critical for me. Nice. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, it's it's interesting. The people that I know who flip houses that are engineers tend to be the most systematic about their approach. And uh, and I think that's extremely helpful. Yeah. You know, I think the background comes in and... and uh, you know, actually establishing that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what would you say? So, so your system is essentially, if if I understand you correctly, it, it's really a list, right? So it's it's kind of step one through uh, collect. You know, hand keys over is step. You know, two hundred and fifty six, and everything in between is is literal. Literally, you're just following up and down the line. And it's got timings for specific um, things in there, and, and and maybe some of those things will kind of get thrown into a calendar. Is is that kind of how you run through that? Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's a uh, it's a list with links to other things. So I'll have um, you know hyperlinks to email. If I need to send an email to the insurance agent, there's a hyperlink right on the list. So when it says email the insurance agent, I just click on that. And it brings up the email template that already has most of the details on it. And so I just basically update it with the, uh, with the address and send it on. And I, use, I try to use the same people over and over so they, they know what's coming. You know, they, they recognize it right away and they know exactly how to handle it. And uh, so just on down the line, I, I actually draw a floor plan of the house as well. I found that that's a very useful thing uh, for the flooring guys. They understand what exactly goes in which room. And for the contractor, you can put the scope of work on that floor plan, put it in the house so that he doesn't have questions later on. Did you want to change that door or you want to, you want to keep it? It's on the, the scope of work. And that scope of work comes, uh, a lot of that's generated automatically. When I fill out the, the initial evaluation, I take notes on that, detailed notes about what needs to be changed, what needs to stay. So when I print that and I give that to the contractor, it, it actually populates in the scope of work. So anyway, if that makes sense, oh, it yeah. kind of builds on itself. You take initial notes and then that flows all the way through. Eventually, and I've talked to some software develop, developers about this, I want to have an online system that will do all of this seamlessly. Right now, it's I'm having to go between software packages. It's not the most efficient way to do it, but it works actually pretty well. But eventually, uh, I hope to be able to do every single thing from the smartphone. What about... um? The, the amount of time that takes Be, because uh, I don't think we've really covered that in any of the shows before. You know, I, I, I have never flipped a house, so I, I just know from folks I know who've done it, right? Um, what, 
you know, what, how long does a walkthrough take for you uh, on a, on a property that you're, you're picking up? Well, that takes some time. It's, it's an investment in that. Um, the numbers have to look pretty good from the gut. I mean, first reaction, of course, is gut. Do I think that this looks good? If I do, then I'll dedicate the time to go into the house. So, you know, to go to the outside uh, and the, the initial evaluation list has a line for everything that could be done to the house. So that's, that's quite a few. I haven't counted to see how many it is, but it may be more than 100 lines. Uh, and, I, and not every one of them has to be filled out, but I'll typically take between an hour to two hours to go through the house initially to write everything down that, I, that it needs so that I know when I leave the house that time, I'm not going to have to come back and do this again. If I don't buy it, I've lost the time. If I do, then I've already got my list. And so, so you know, there's definitely a commitment there. Uh, how, how many offers are you, I, I think you said you're doing a, a property every couple of months. How many offers are you writing for every property that you close on? Well, probably not enough. Um, I mean, I'm, and, and I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, the, you, you see a hundred, yeah. you offer 10, you buy one. Uh, I still have trouble with that because I don't have time to look at a hundred houses, yep. not physically. I might look at them on Zillow or the MLS, but I, I can't physically go do that. So my realtor actually helps filter a, a lot of that for me. And when he sees something pop up in the MLS, he'll send me the link I'll look at it. We'll talk about it. He understands this very, very well, too. It's another critical piece. You have to have, for me, to have a full-time job and to do this flipping at this volume, I have to have a very good realtor. Uh, I've gone, Brandon, I think I heard you say that you've gone through your real estate classes, yeah. courses, but, but haven't gotten your license yet. And I'm in the same boat. And I stopped that actually two years in a row. I did the same thing because I realized the, the realtor is going to be critical. I really need a good person there. I don't need to be doing that. Yeah. Um, so I, I backed away from that. Um, so he serves the purpose there to, to filter the houses. So I, I really honestly, um, I'm, probably, I'm probably buying one out of every three that I offer on or maybe four. But it's, it's definitely less than 10. I'll, I'll offer... I'm probably I, actually it's a lot less than five that I'll off, offer on that I uh, that I actually get. So okay, yeah, I'm I'm probably still kind of in the same boat too. I tend to not offer on one. If, if, I don't know if this is the right way, but I tend to not offer on them unless I'm pretty sure I'm going to get them. Unless I'm you know if it's almost perfect and it's been on the market for a long time, then I'll usually offer. But again, I'm not buying you know dozens of properties a month either. Like you know we're both kind of part time flipping and uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense that way. So. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. 
Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, anyway, um... So let's, uh, I guess, move over a little bit to the selling side of things. Uh, how do you decide exactly how much to sell for? Or does that your real estate agent just tell you? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I really am focused on a fairly small area. So I have a good idea of what it needs to, uh, what, it, what it's going to be priced at. Okay. And that, of course, is really is the first decision that has to be made. When the realtor sends me a link to a house and says, take a look at this, every single time I'll shoot him a text back immediately and says, what do you think it's going to be worth? I want his opinion. I don't give him my opinion ever. I want his opinion about what it's going to be worth. And then I compare that to my own local knowledge. And I try to be as knowledgeable as I can about my local market to make sure that I have a good idea. And of course, that's easier after you have some time in them because when you've owned a 3-2 uh, with a certain floor plan and, and square footage, you pretty much know what it's going to sell for. You know, if it's sold in two days, you might have been priced a little low. If it took you three months, then you're probably priced too high. So, you know, experience kind of teaches you that. But I found that, that my realtor pretty much nails it every time. He's, he's very good at, at values. And, and I pretty much confirm 
what he says. We've, we've disagreed on very few of them. So I really rely on him. Okay. And that, that's a really good tip, actually. I mean, like you said, don't tell your real, realtor your value. If you come up with them and they do, and then you get into opinions. That, that's excellent. Excellent. Uh, and you said you focus on a small area. How small are you? Uh, what's your farm area look like? Well, it's really a county. Um, and it's, you know, I don't have a feel for the population. It's, it's not, it's not tiny, but it's not huge, uh, kind of a bedroom community sort of thing. So, you know, Knoxville is the biggest local metro area, but it's not in Knoxville. I'm, I'm outside of that some. So it's, it's the area that I live. It's the area where when I drive home from work, I'm driving those roads. So it, it really helps me to, to, to know the local market. Yeah. Um, and where are you finding the the properties? Are these listed, or are these uh, you're not doing any marketing for them, or are you using wholesalers? Well, you know, in in the good old days, you could get on the MLS and have five or six projects immediately to to go look at. It was effortless. They were just it was before real estate was cool, I guess, and, and people weren't really in it in a big way. And you know, banks were always looking to get rid of their few junk properties they had. So it was very easy to pull them off the MLS. So I did that for uh, years and years. And it's only really been recently that I've had to really get serious about the systems for marketing. Uh, I haven't had to implement them yet, but I know as my volume goes up, that's, it's, it's coming. It's imminent. I'm, I'm going to have to do some marketing. I've done some Craigslist, um, you know, we buy houses kinds of things. Uh, but I really, I haven't gotten any decent response out of that. Everything I bought has been off the MLS. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. And, and, uh, as we kind of wind down this segment, I, I guess my, my last question is, uh, if you have any other tips for, for selling a property quickly, you know, sell, sell them with, uh, what, 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 what do you call it again? Not staged, but, uh, furnished. So you've got the furnished house, you, you make the front look nice. Uh, any, anything else you do to, to, to make it really stand out? Really, no. The, the furnishings have been the only what thing that I would consider extraordinary to do. Um, you know, like I said, the every house needs to look and feel like new. It can't be ugly. You can't have uh, a bedroom that's separated by a bathroom from the rest of the house. You can't walk from, you know, the hallway through a bathroom to get into a bedroom. Just you know, so I, it, it has to flow good. Um, but not really. I mean, just understanding what people are buying. Uh, if the numbers match, really, um, if it's the right price per square foot and there's nothing that's unappealing about it, it pretty much sells. You know, it's everybody really, uh, everybody I know does their search for the house they're going to buy by the numbers first. That's where they start. So I've just, you know, without being able to see the world of realtors, and what they see and hear from their buyers and sellers, that would be an, an advantage of having your license, I think. But without being able to see and hear that, um, I really, I just rely on price. Just make sure it looks good and, and that there's nothing detracting, you know, detracting from it. No bad neighbors. Cool. Cool. Very, very good. Good wisdom there. All right. Well, I guess that kind of wraps up our initial part of the interview here. So why don't we move on to my favorite sound effects? It's time for the fire round. <laughs> Very good. All right, fire round. These questions, most of these come from, I think they all come from the Bigger Pockets forums, where these are questions people have asked, and we're going to fire them at you, and you get to fire them back at us. So, number one, okay. 
What is your favorite flooring or a living room? Oh, well, it really depends. I know that the trend I think is toward hard flooring. Uh, I know that that that's my wife's favorite. Uh, she doesn't like carpet. Um, car- carpet can soften things. It would depend on the house, but generally I'm doing hard flooring through the living room and the kitchen. The layout of most houses in this area, the living room and the kitchen are fairly close. And both the houses I have right now, I'm removing a wall between the living room and the kitchen so that the hard flooring goes from the front door all the way through the uh, kitchen and, and dining room. So I, I would have to go with uh, you know a laminate or hardwood. A laminate is what I've been using. It's fairly inexpensive and uh, and it looks good. Okay, right on, right on. All right, so uh, a flipper goes and buys a house that reeks of smoke, cigarette smoke, or or. I guess, I guess two questions: smoke, fire smoke, and cigarette smoke. You know, you think of these as two questions. What, uh, what do you do? Well, really, I, I would do the same thing for either one. Um, and I actually last year invested in an ozone generator. Uh, I, I bought the most powerful one I could find. Actually, it's one step down from the most powerful. They have an industrial size um, that will kill everything within a quarter mile or something <laughs> crazy <laughs> like that. But, uh, but I have one that, that handles a large area. You know, I, honestly, I've found that when the demolition is done, um, when they tear out what needs to be torn out and they paint, that takes care of about 80%. Uh, but if I have something that's got pet urine um, or, you know, the, the smoke smell usually comes out pretty easy, but pet urine is is the really that's the Achilles heel to a lot of houses. If you got saturated subfloors, you got a real problem on your hands. But the ozone generator, between that and the painting, uh, that's all I've had to do. Uh, it, it takes care of it. Okay, okay so so I got to ask you a question that's not on our fire round here. Can somebody please explain to me how on earth you have a house where pet urine has leached into the hardwood floors to such an extent? I mean. Uh, that, I just don't get it. I think every house I've ever bought has had that problem. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> it's it's amazing. You would not believe. Uh, I I take my 11 and 13-year-old boys with me as often as I can to look at these houses. We'll open the front door, and of course, you get nailed with the stench yeah. coming out of the house. And the first thing I ask them is, what's that smell like? And they say, money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, nobody else. <laughs> that's right. Nobody else wants it. If yep. there's piles, really, uh, if there's piles of, you know what, all over the house, uh, 99% of the people are going to walk away. Yep. But I know that my contractor doesn't mind. He's going to get in there and take care of it. So, that, I, I, you know, I, I'm with you. I just, <laughs> I just, I, I don't understand. I'm a clean guy. I don't, you know, if I see cat hair or dog hair on the floor, I freak out. You know, like you let your dogs and cats pee on your floor. <laughs> How do you do that? I don't get it. Well, honestly, they, they live in it. I, yeah. I walked in the houses in the summertime and wearing shorts because it's hot. I walk in and I feel the sensation all over both my legs. I look down and I'm literally covered with fleas yeah. from the first step into the front door. So, uh, and the people were still living in the house. So, you, you got me. I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get it. Brand, Brandon, you live with cats. I if I, I if I see you're a dirty. flea on them, like we like throw the advantage on them, and yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't let that happen. Anyway, no. But I always, I always say the same thing. My favorite aspect of a house when I go to look at it is smell. I want it to smell like the worst house I've ever been in. Because again, it smells like money every time. I love it. So, 
All right. Yeah. Next question of the fire round. Asbestos popcorn ceiling. What do you do? Oh, avoid it. Um, if I see asbestos, asbestos siding is the big thing around here. There was tons of it back in the yep. 40s and 50s. I've dealt with it before. I've had it removed. Um, you know, with the the requirements that are out there right now for remediation for that and tenting the house and positive air pressure, all these kinds of things that you got to do to do that right to stay out of trouble. Honestly, if that's the only house left to flip, I'm going to do something else for a while. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm, like, I'm not going to touch it. Okay. Smells like money to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, that looks like jail time. Or something. <laughs> no, thanks. Awesome. Awesome. All right. How many days is too long for a house to sit on the market? Two. <laughs> no, um, no I, I want a contract. I want serious interest within two weeks. Um, you know, it's, of course, it's gone a lot longer than that. I've had them for, I don't know, I'd have to look to see for sure. But, you know, probably eight months or something was the longest. It was probably that little 500 square foot house that I had. But if I don't have serious interest in two weeks, then I'm questioning what went wrong with the plan. But right now, with what I put together, the pricing, what's included with the house, the way it looks and smells, um, within within three to four weeks, I pretty much always got a contract. So if it goes beyond four, then, you know, like I said, I'm not super concerned. It depends on the time of year too. You know, this, this time of year, uh, late fall coming up to Thanksgiving and Christmas, I, I, I'll let that, out a little bit, you know. It's uh, people don't make as many housing decisions this time of the year, so I'll give it a little more time. But if it's in the hot season, um, you know, late spring, summer, it needs to be. There needs to be lots of activity. But if it's the week of Christmas, I really don't expect anything for you know several weeks. So sorry, that's kind of an open-ended question uh, answer to that. No, that's good. Fair enough. That's good. I had one set for nine months. I think that was my longest. It was miserable, but yeah, it is. It is miserable. It is miserable. All right. <laughs> Uh, this is one that I just dealt with, and I like this question. Pink tub, a pink bathtub. Do you professionally repaint it, replace it, or leave it? Oh, my contractor loves demolition, so <laughs> <laughs> he gets the the saws all and the and the hammers out, and just beats it out of there and, and puts something else new in there. I, I've dealt with them before; I've refinished them, um, but I probably put twice as much time and money into refinishing that stupid pink tub. Yep. And I, I really have had that. Um, you know, I thought, well, it's, it's a nice older porcelain tub. It'll, it'll look great when I'm done. Um, and it did, but financially it was not the right thing to do. Uh, yeah. Just unless you're, you know, on the sixth floor of, of a high rise building or <laughs> something crazy, I would get it out of there. Right on. Good. Right on. And finally, what is the, uh, what's the best place to buy appliances? Well, you know, that's a very good question. And that was something that I always, for well, for years, assumed that, that you know, the big box stores, whichever one is your favorite in your local market, would have the best prices. But I found that going to the local specialty appliance stores uh, gave me much better deals. Hmm. So we, we have a, a local appliance store, and that's what they do, washers, dryers, uh, refrigerators. Uh, I get those for probably, I would say, between 10 and, and 20% less than the big box stores locally here. So uh, I've really learned that uh, that's, that's the best place. Cool. And, that's a great tip. And if I could add a, uh, a little quick tip here, uh, I always get my appliances I try anyway, 
the day after Thanksgiving sale at the big box stores. Cause you can get like, it's like, get like four washing machines for a buck 50. Like they're like throwing, <laughs> so like I, I load up on appliances every year, the day after Thanksgiving, that that's my get up at 5am and go shopping. So that's coming up here in just a few days. So anyway, I don't yeah. know, maybe somebody can yeah. take advantage of that, but cool. Well, that's, that's excellent advice. Uh, I really, top to bottom, I, I try to use the specialty shops, not just for appliances, but I found that uh, cabinets as well. It's the same yep. thing. I've got beautiful cabinets that come from a local cabinet supplier. Uh, just very, very happy with the uh, specialty shops. That's cool. That's very cool. And then you're supporting local business too, which is always good. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, let, let not us. Not that we have any problem with the big <laughs> box stores who might or might not want to sponsor the Bigger Pockets yeah. podcast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> offer discounts to the thousands and thousands of people on yeah. the site. Hint, I hint. S- <clears throat> I spent uh, I spent tens of thousands of dollars in the big box stores, so there's definitely a place for them. There is yeah. a place. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> All right. Final section of the show. Our world famous famous four. Famous four. Famous four. What is your favorite real estate book? This one's easy for me. Um, last year, I discovered The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Okay. And I, I listen to it. I use Audible. And so I listen to my books on my two-hour commute every day. I'm driving actually an hour to work and an hour back. So that gives me two hours a day to absorb podcasts and Audible books and so forth. So anyway, I listened to that one last year. And um, I um, was, you know, it, it was a lot of good information. And then studying Bigger Pockets, I found that really Bigger Pockets backs it up. And uh, it's, it's a very good system. Uh, if you just followed the book, uh, it's the same advice that you that you you know that all of us are going to learn that that get successful at it. So anyway, that's that's my favorite book. Cool, right on, right on. What about your uh, favorite business book, non real estates? That one's a little harder, um, and, and I have to. Josh, you'll love this because I know that <laughs> you're, you're not going to say A or you B. know it. You yeah, know, baby. I, you know I am. <laughs> Come on. You know it. Well, you know the the thing is, be original, <laughs> Michael. Seriously, be original. This I is, really want. To you do don't that. even have to start saying no. I mean, you're I a really, unique and magnificent gentleman, and and <laughs> I want to hear something new out of you. I want to hear it. I want to hear your favorite business book. Let's. I would have to make it up though, because <laughs> honestly, true story, true story. I, I'm I'm in Florida. It's been about you know seven years ago, and this realtor comes up to me. He says, "Here, here's." Here's this book. You got to read this. The E Myth Revisited. Uh, yep. And he said, "You got to, you know, you're you're knocking your head against the wall. Check this out. You'll enjoy it." Gave me the book. You know, I thought that was a, a real nice gesture on his part, and it really was a pivot point for me. It was a point where I realized I am not doing the right thing here. I need to pivot and quit doing all this stuff myself. Get out there and get somebody else to help me with it. Work on the business instead of in the business. And the other pivot point. <laughs> When you read the four hour work week, of course. Option B was <laughs> when I read four hour work week. I'm on page 27, by the way. <laughs> and for those people who've been listening to the past several podcasts, uh, I've been on page 27 for about three shows, four, <laughs> four shows. Get, get the audiobook. You can, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you listen to it. I don't leave my house, man. When you're going to sleep at night, there that'll you put go. you to sleep. But, uh, but that was seriously was another pivot point for me when I realized that. I can't make everybody happy. I really can't. I can't make everybody happy. And at some point I need, because I've always kind of been that way. I try to make everybody around me happy. 
And I found that I'm spending my life making everybody happy and I'm not getting through the things that I want to do with my life. And I would love to have a four-hour work week, although I'm kind of driven and I'm not sure I'll ever let it get that low. <laughs> um, but I think that the information in the book, well, for me at least, it was something that changed my outlook. It changed my perspective on, you know, it's okay to, to, uh, to say no. Yep. It, you know, it's okay for somebody not to be happy with what you got to do because it's what you got to do. So, cool. sorry, Josh. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I actually, unlike Detroit, no, I'm just kidding. I have no problem with Detroit either. <laughs> I, I have, wasn't going to bring up Detroit. <laughs> I have no problem with, with, uh, with the two books. I, I just, you know, I want to hear somebody with something new. I want to, I want to hear, are there new authors out there writing stuff to inspire us besides these two guys? You know what I did? I, I went to my Audible library and I looked down through it because I knew you were going to ask me that. And I looked through my library and I said, I, he's going to hate it, but I got to do it. That's awesome. I, I have to. So I thought, I thought you were an E-Myth and four hour work week kind of guy. You just, you, the system thing, it's, it's exactly, I love it. So. Uh, yeah. And we, we will have sh- uh, the links to those in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 43. So uh, hobbies, Michael. What are your hobbies, Mike? Oh, it's been so long since I've done any. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I like the outdoors. Um, bought a motorcycle a couple of years ago, and this is a, a beautiful part of the country to, to ride. So I like to ride. Uh, eventually, I like to have my pilot's license. Uh, I think you had a, somebody else on a podcast that likes to fly. Um, I think we had a couple. So that's, yeah, yeah. Something I enjoy. Um, you know, what little time I have, I uh, spend it with the family. One one thing that uh, is kind of nice about engineering job is that once in a while you have to travel and, and sometimes you can take your family with you. So uh, I've, I've tried to do that uh, a little bit. So That's cool. Um, yeah. Hobbies will be after I get out of my full-time job probably. Cool. Nice. Nice. And right. Brandon, you want to ask the uh, last of our famous four? That I shall. All right. What do you believe sets apart the successful investors from those who never gain any traction? Doing the right things. I mean, it's, it sounds like a, a cliche, really, but you know, we've, we've heard it over and over. And, but but you, you just, if you ask the question, you have to say the same thing. You, you got to run the numbers. You have to do your due diligence. Due diligence. Um, you can't take any shortcuts. You, if you're, you can get lucky. Somebody had a post on one time that talking about is your is your business or an article is your business successful? Have you been successful because of your business plan or, or were you just lucky? And I was just lucky for the first few years because I was doing what was in front of me and leaving myself vulnerable. So you know the people that will get in and educate themselves. And follow those numbers and do the right thing. It's a recipe. If you want to make chocolate chip cookies, you know, you use the right ingredients. When you put them together, chocolate chip cookies come out every time. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then (laughs) you're going to get something else. So really it's, and part of that's my systems side and analytical side that you get out what you put in. So you put the right stuff in and you'll be successful. That's great. Great. That's great. Well, listen, I, I, uh, I, th- I think the focus on systems is something that a lot of people might be unfamiliar with, uh, especially if they don't, as I said earlier, come from that engineering background. And and I'm really glad that we spent a fair amount of time working, uh, well, talk, talking about it here on the show. Uh, definitely appreciate, um, definitely appreciate uh, you taking the time 
to uh, to be here. And and of course, you know, if anyone's got questions uh, for 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 Michael, feel free to to jump on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show forty three and ask him. Uh, I, I'm sure you're you're more than happy to 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 you know answer folks with, with their questions about systems and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and a couple other things that I just wanted to plug in here at the end. I got to give Brian Burke a a, a a shout out because he said something one time back to the systems thing that, um, you know, what he said was the bigger you get, the bigger you get. And, you know, I have a system. What I want to do is two houses a month, and and that I want my system to fit that. That's that's what I want. I don't want a system where I just have to keep hiring more and more people. Uh, and just for it to get bigger and bigger for bigger sake. So that was a pivotal point for me when I heard him say that, you know, the, the bigger you get, the bigger you get. I don't want to just get bigger. Uh, I want to have hobby time. Uh, and the other thing too, if, if this is okay, I hope it is that, you know, I, I contribute to bigger pockets financially because it's valuable to me. And I hope those that are benefiting from bigger pockets will consider doing that. Even if you don't have anything to put in the marketplace, which I really don't, um, I do it anyway because I get a lot of value out of this and I appreciate what you guys are doing. Wow. Well, well, we, we appreciate that and, and that was definitely not uh, prearranged. So, you know, no, I, not I, at all. Uh, I, I, I thank you and, and, you know, obviously everybody who signs up for pro helps us help support the site and helps support our staff and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, the bigger you get, the bigger you get. Well, we're pretty big, and we we're we're trying to get the 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 pieces in place to to maintain this place and and make it even better. And and uh, those those uh, the donations and and the pro contributions and and uh, the, those those certainly help. So thank you so much, and and thank you again for being on the show. And uh, where where can people connect with you besides Bigger Pockets? Do you have a website or anything like that? Uh, it's. It's in the system, but it's not in place yet. So Bigger yeah. Pockets is where to find me. Cool. Fabulous. Well, uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the site. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you, Mike. All right, guys, that was our interview with Mike Woodward. Lots of, uh, lots of good tips, lots of good stuff. What do you think, Brandon, as a flipper? Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of amazing uh, little tidbits in there, huh? There was. Uh, I, I can think of like a dozen things that I'm going to use in my own business. Because yeah, it, it is not easy to try to do anything like flipping while having a job. Like it's insanely hard. So yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So, so thank you everybody for listening again. It's, it's show 43. Uh, so check out the show notes at sh- uh, biggerpockets.com slash show 43. And uh, otherwise definitely make sure to follow us and, and track us and stalk us. Don't stalk, but uh, you know, keep you up stalk. with us. You could stalk Brandon. I don't like stalkers. It's weird. <laughs> kind of creepy. Um, but uh, yeah, keep up with us on, on Twitter, Facebook, G+, LinkedIn. And of course, of course, uh, make sure to, to connect with us on, on Bigger Pockets. As, as Mike said, it's, it's an amazing place. If you're not already active, definitely uh, take the time to do so. And, and of course, uh, you should definitely check out our pro accounts at biggerpockets.com slash pro. Uh, there are some uh, cool tools and, and upgrades that come with a pro account. So definitely want to check that out. Otherwise, that's it. We, uh, we thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, getting back with you on Show 44 next week. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing out. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. 
If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. <laughs> Don't use that. <laughs> the market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.